All right. Hey, good morning. So glad that you're here. I need a little bass in the morning to get me like in my preaching groove. You know what I'm saying? So I'm ready to go. Uh, man, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Andrew. I am lead pastor here. So thankful to be able to worship with you today. Uh, we are in this year of discipleship. So this year is all about uh, for us growing in holiness, becoming more Christ-like. We're in week number 23. Uh, of this year. And as Jake was mentioning, a lot of this revolves around our F260 Bible reading plan. Uh, it's a pretty easy, uh, manageable plan. Uh, if you haven't joined us, it's not too late to jump in with us right in week number 23. Uh, there's a digital copy at friendshipwire.com slash 2022, or we've got physical copies over at Next Steps. Love to invite you to join with us in that. Uh, we're in this, this year of sermon series uh, under this big umbrella called The Word. Uh, we're coming into series number five. We've gone through, uh, as you saw in the bumper video there, in the beginning, promised land, uh, against all odds, kings and kingdoms. And today we start into this fifth, five, number five of eight, uh, prepare the way. And we're picking up right where we left off last week as we're kind of tracking through the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel, the people of God, and everything that is happening to them uh, and through them is preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. All right, so our next sermon series, we'll, we'll jump into the New Testament. So this will be uh, the next eight weeks in this series. Um, we introduced or we talked about uh, at some length in this last series, the prophets. The prophets were really instrumental in uh, the life of Israel. They were spokesmen for God. And two things they did. They warned the people of judgment. So they warned them, if you continue in your sinful, rebellious ways away from the Lord, there's going to be judgment. And so that ultimately uh, resulted in the people uh, being taken into captivity in Babylon. There was a 70-year period of exile uh, we see in the Old Testament. Uh, but the prophets weren't all gloom and doom. They didn't just warn of judgment. They pointed to this hope that was coming. They pointed to the fact that one day God would fulfill all of his covenant promises that he would send a king from the line of David, he would restore his people, and he would use his people to be a blessing to all the nations, just like he promised Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. And so the prophets, they would warn of judgment, they would, but they would point also to this future hope. And today we're going to uh, introduce or, or see uh, another significant prophet, and his name was Isaiah. So let me do a quick test. Anybody know how to spell the name Isaiah? Anybody feel like you're confident in spelling that? Uh, I-S-A-I-A-H. I do that because my firstborn son is named Isaiah. And when we did that, we realized nobody knows how to spell Isaiah. Everybody butchers that. Uh, that's one of the tougher names to spell. I-S-A-I-A-H. So today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. And when I, this is one of my favorite chapters, um, Isaiah. This is our, our one and only sermon in the book of Isaiah, but... This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. In fact, as you've heard me say uh, probably many times before, we, we named our firstborn son after this particular passage of Scripture, Isaiah 6. And when I think of this chapter, it's all about, if I was to sum it up, it's all about a, a willingness to surrender to God. A willingness to surrender to God. And I want to read, we're going to work through uh, the whole chapter, which is just 13 verses, but I want to read verse number 8, which is really the the more well-known uh, verse out of the whole passage. It says this, Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
Then I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. You know, a couple months ago, I think back in April, we were looking at Samuel, uh, the, the first prophet, and Samuel as a boy in 1 Samuel 3, he was hearing the voice of, of God and he responded by saying, speak for your servant hears. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, but, but that speaks the same heart to what we see in Isaiah and many men and followers uh, of the Lord throughout the scriptures. We saw it with um, Abraham and Jacob and Moses and later on in the New Testament, a guy named Ananias in Acts 9, this, this willingness that said, here I am, send me, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It's the same kind of mindset. And this passage, I love it so much. It reminds me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up a, a little throwback picture for y'all, okay? Um, this is a picture of my wife and I, uh, circa 1996. <laughs> All right. So baby, <laughs> baby Andrew and baby Annette. Um, I was all of 21 years old here and she was 19. Do the math, we're way older than we look, right? Uh, so we were in college. Uh, gosh, that was our second year of college, I think. And um, we were actually in the state of Montana right here. Uh, we were uh, on a trip with our church, like our college group, and we were helping a church plant kind of get started in a little town in Montana. And I wish John Davis was here. If you all know John, John was in our college group. He was part of this trip. Uh, our friendship goes way back then. Um, but yeah, so there is... Uh, there's young Andrew and Annette. And so uh, the reason I put this picture up here, well, a couple, couple reasons. One, we had a wedding yesterday with uh, Justin and Gracie Dorton, if you know them, a young couple here. Um, so I've been thinking all about young love, right? Um, and this is like when we were, were young, dumb, and in love. And now we're just old, dumb, and in love. Um, seasoned, yes, mature, right? Um, so... The other reason I'm thinking of this picture is because of this t-shirt, and I wore this thing out in the late 90s, and you can't see it there, but on my left kind of pocket area, it says, will you be the one? And then it was like, dot, 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 and then on the back, there was some kind of graphic. But I remember this, this t-shirt because it was from our college that we went to, this little Bible college. And uh, it actually, those words refer to this old song uh, called Be the One by this contemporary Christian artist named Al Denson. And you'll see the little cover photo here. Um, and this, was, this song came out in 1990, all right? So if you're following along, or if you want to check it out later on the digital bulletin sermon notes, there's a link to a groovy old like music video from Al Denson. It's 1990, so it, it reeks of like 1980s cheese. You know what I'm saying? And it's got like mullets and it's, it's a tearjerker. It's an incredible song. So you got to go watch it. Be the one. But I want to read you the chorus of the song. It says, will you be the one to answer to his call? Will you? I feel like I got to sing it, but I'm not. <laughs> will you stand um, when those around you fall? Will you be the one to take his light into a darkened world? Tell me, will you be the one? And it's like this emotional song that comes to the end. And there's this like declaration at the end. I will be the one. It's just, it's a tearjerker. I'm telling you, go watch it. You will not regret it. You may regret it, but you'll enjoy it. It'll be fun. So I just thought of that t-shirt because this, it, it really echoes Isaiah chapter six, where the Lord says, who, who uh, shall I send? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And this willingness of Isaiah, it says, I, I'll go. I will go. Send me. 
And so from, from my earliest days as a Christ follower, and let me bring some of you into my stories. Many of you have heard my story. I'll give you the 30 second version. I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, church was foreign to me, uh, something I didn't want to have anything to do with, really. Uh, it was boring, had nothing to do with my life. I knew nothing of Jesus or of the gospel. Uh, grew up with great parents, very moral family, uh, but knew nothing of Christ. And uh, after my junior year of high school, before my senior year, uh, I kind of got roped in with, with a friend into uh, his church youth group and youth summer camp and went to this camp and heard the gospel for the first time, understood that God loved me, gave my life to him, and it changed me fundamentally and forever. And that was the start of my story. But the reason I bring that up is because I, I don't, didn't have a church background. And probably 90% of you, I would guess, have a church background, um, especially in the South. Most folks have some kind of church background. I had zero church background. I wasn't even just a Christmas and Easter Christian. I was like a Christmas and Easter maybe a couple times throughout my childhood. It, I, I just had nothing to do with church. But from my earliest days as a Christ follower, from 17 years old on, um, my understanding, what I understood to be the normal posture of a Christ follower was one of willingness. Just being willing, willing, surrendered to God to do whatever. And, you know, it didn't take me long to figure out that this isn't normal. And I say that because, you know, uh, that picture you saw of us, I was at Bible college and, uh, I didn't totally know what God wanted to do with my life, um, but I knew um, he was kind of calling me into ministry. I wanted to have an impact on people's lives the way that the church had had on mine as a young teenage man. And so I, I kind of surrendered to, to, to go into ministry. And it didn't take long to like start leading in the church and becoming a pastor before I realized like this is not normal for a Christ follower, a Christian, let me say it that way, to have this willingness to do whatever God wants them to do. Um, and, and listen, y'all know I, I, I hate, I despise guilt trips. And so I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone whatsoever. But what I learned as I became a pastor was that normal for a Christian was, God, here I am, send me, I'll do whatever you want, as long as I don't have something better to do. Or my schedule's open, or I don't have, you know, something more pressing, more fun to do. Then I'll give you my time. Then I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. As long as it doesn't, like, interrupt my life too much. And so, you know, becoming a pastor, what was normal or what has become normal is, you know, it's more normal to try to convince people to, to show up and to give and to serve and surrender. And so I've, I've asked myself over the years the question, like, Why? Why is that the case? Why is it when, when, when I came to Christ, my understanding of followers of Jesus were to be sold out? And then and there were some, there, there's some, to be fair, there's, there's some who are totally sold out and fully committed to God, to, to their faith, to the church, to the mission of God. And yet there's others who seem to possess an occasional faith. You know what I mean? An occasional faith where they're content to attend sometimes, to consume mostly, not really contribute. Why is it that, you know, you know for us, we came here uh, in 2019 
and we were here for about nine months, and then COVID hit, right? And then so we all went home. Everyone went home and was trying to figure out, okay, what are we supposed to do with life, and what do we do with church, and these public spaces, and, and then kind of that started to subside, and we came back to church, and yet um, some stayed at home, right? And maybe some of you stayed at home, and yet here we are, you know, two uh, years plus later, and there's some people who have still stayed home, Right? And so, and again, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm just asking the question, why is that the case? Why are some followers of Jesus sold out and will do anything for the Lord? And some are just like content to be like, eh, I'll give you one or two Sundays a month. And that's the extent of it. Why is that the case? And I'm convinced, I am convinced that what we see in Isaiah chapter 6 gives us the answer to that. That, you know, this Isaiah 6, 8 that we read when Lord, the Lord says, whom shall I send who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. Without Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, we don't have this willingness to go. And so I want us to kind of work through this chapter, Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. And the title today is this, A Divine Encounter. A divine encounter. And so Isaiah chapter 6, four things that, that we're going to see here. We're going to walk through this scripture. The first thing is this, that Isaiah sees the Lord's holiness. Isaiah sees the Lord's holiness. And I want to read these first four verses, and then we'll kind of talk through them, right? Here's what we see in Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So let, let's pause right there. So the location, this is... Isaiah here in the location is the throne room of God. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. So uh, we're in this throne room. And this is similar to an experience that we see later on in the Bible in Revelation 4 around the throne room of God, where it's like John is he's having a vision, but it's, is it a vision or is he physically there? And I would say the answer is yes. Yes, it's, it's like he's having this vision, but this is a very personal experience where he is in the throne room seeing the Lord. And it says that he sees the Lord upon a throne high and lifted up. In other words, he is elevated upon his throne. This is the most high God in his throne room, sitting upon a throne. And it says this, that he, he saw the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. And so this was, this was like what, what, a, what a king would wear in this day. This, this robe that would have this long, long train. All right, so I think of like uh, a wedding dress. All right, last night we had a wedding. I mentioned Justin and Gracie uh, Dorton, a young couple in our church. Um, you can throw that picture up there uh, of Justin and Gracie. Um, they are young, dumb and in love, right? Um, they're awesome. And so like, uh, 
as we were in the, the ceremony, I, you know, I have a different vantage point than everyone else because I'm standing in front of the couple, but it, it was actually a nice little breeze going on. And uh, my wife was telling me that her, the train of her dress was like flowing in the wind. And she's like, that was like picture perfect. That's what every bride wants on her wedding day. And it's just flowing and apparently looked amazing, right? Um, this is kind of the idea that, you know, a king would wear this robe with this train that flows and it, and it kind of... It, signified this. I'm someone important. Right? I'm someone important. I'm a person of honor and dignity and others must serve me. It's kind of like the bride on her wedding day, like, right? Peasant, maid of honor, take care of this. I'm not bending down for this. Fluff my, my train. You know what I'm saying? I am important. I am the queen on this day. You will serve me. Right? That, that's kind of what that is all about. And this is what's going on in the throne room that the Lord, it says, his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. And then it speaks in verse number two. It says, above him stood the seraphim. So seraphim in Hebrew literally means burning ones. So there, there were these fiery angelic beings around the throne of God. They weren't these, you know, cute, chubby uh, angels with wings and all that, like they had wings, but they, they weren't, they were fiery angelic beings and they were, they were created by God. And yet uh, as great as these beings were, even they had to humble themselves and cover their eyes because of the, the glory of God, the holiness of God. And it says that these seraphim who are around the throne, they, they day and night, just like we sang, they, they proclaim Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Verse number three, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So in, in the Hebrew language, the original language, repetition communicated intensity. So when something was repeated, I always think of, you know, there's times in the Bible where something is repeated, you know, it's, it's spoken twice, which to me is always like a highlighter. Like, hey, pay attention, this is important. But this isn't just holy, holy. This is holy, holy, holy. It speaks to the magnitude, the intensity of God's uh, holiness, his set-apartness, his separateness. But I also think anytime I see something spoken three times like this, I think of God who is three in one. He is one person, uh, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, holy holy, holy. It speaks to the essence of who God is. And it talks about the whole earth is full of his glory and the house was filled with smoke. And this is referring to, as we see throughout the Old Testament, God's manifest presence. When God shows up, his presence shows up. It's, it's usually in a cloud or in smoke. You know, remember when he led his people by a pillar of cloud by day and and, and we showed up on Mount Sinai, it was in smoke. And whenever we see a temple or a throne room, it, it's filled with smoke. It's, this speaks to his holiness and his glory and all that he is. And so here is, here is the point. Isaiah sees God's glory in his holiness. He's in his throne room and he sees the Lord on his throne and the the angelic beings who are crying out, who are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so he gets to have this glimpse of the glory and the holiness 
of God. And I'll read this quote to you from Jackie Hill Perry, who is the opposite of a dead old guy. All right, she's still living, and yet I love what she has to say here. She says, at the point when we begin to think of God as being anything other than holy is the moment we are imagining a completely different God altogether. So, so holiness, this is like the essence of who God is. He's holy. He is set apart. And so Isaiah has this, this scene where he's in the throne room of God. He sees God high and lifted up on a throne. And he sees the holiness, the majesty, the glory of God. And this leads to the second thing that we see in verse number five, that he realizes his own sinfulness. He realizes his own sinfulness. Look at verse number five. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, woe is me, I am lost. In other words, or in other translations, it says, I am undone, or I am ruined. I'm doomed, I'm done for. You know what we would call this in 2022? We call this conviction. This is realizing in light of the Lord's holiness, man, I'm not holy. I'm sinful. I'm evil. I am lost. I am undone. I am ruined. Unless God does something. He says, woe is me. I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips. And you're like, what is that all about? What is that all about? Isaiah, why don't you just wash your lips off, lips off then, right? What's, what's up with your unclean lips? Well, here's the thing. If you, if you kind of understand the scope of, of scripture, even like some of Jesus's teaching, he talks about what's in the heart comes out through the what? Through the mouth, right? And so if the lips are unclean, then that means the heart is unclean. And so here is Isaiah seeing the holiness of God, realizing, man, I'm unclean. But I also think of it this way. He wasn't able to join in with his lips in this holy song of the angels who were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And here is Isaiah who is convicted to the heart because he's not holy, because he's not clean. And so he realizes his own sinfulness and, and he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so it's like he, he doesn't just say, hey, we're all a bunch of sinners. He says, I am unclean. I am undone. I am lost. And I dwell in the midst of a people who are unclean for my eyes have seen the king. Here is the point. To get a glimpse of God's holiness is to get a grasp on your own sinfulness. Do you understand that? When you see God's holiness for, when you see him for who he is, that he is holy, that he is set apart, that he is glorious, you begin to recognize that you are on a whole different level, right? That I'm not holy like God is holy. 
I am not pure like God is pure. I am not clean like God is clean. And so Isaiah, because he sees the holiness of God in his very presence, he recognizes his own sinfulness. And so he sees the Lord's holiness, he realizes his own sinfulness, and then he receives atonement. Look at verses six and seven. It says, and one of the seraphim flew to me, having a coal uh, in his hand, a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So he receives atonement. This, this seraphim takes this burning hot coal from off of the altar. And this represents God's holiness doing its, its purifying work. And he comes and he, he touches his lips and it burns away the sin. It burns away the dross. What's happening here is that there's one touch from the Lord. And as he says, your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. So I want to bring up this example that we see all throughout the Bible. It's this example of leprosy. Are you familiar with it? Leprosy. So it was the skin infection or this disease where someone, a leper was unclean. And so no one could touch a leper. No one could, I literally read this, that no one could come within six feet of a leper. That sounds familiar? Like social distancing before it was a thing, Right. Um, if, if it was windy, uh, if the wind was blowing, then you couldn't come within 150 feet of a leper. I'm thankful that we never went there with COVID, right? We would have been in trouble. Um, so a leper was unclean, and if, if you touched them or if they touched you, they would infect you. And so, uh, man, they were castaways. Stay away from lepers. And you go, why does the Bible talk about leprosy? And it's because it was a picture of sin and how it infects you and those who would get close to you. It, it affects them and infects them as well. And so the scriptures talk all about leprosy and being unclean, but then Jesus comes along on the scene and Jesus did something unheard of. Jesus didn't stay away. Jesus didn't avoid touching them. He would come close and he would touch them. And rather than them infecting him, he would make them clean. So their impurity wouldn't defile him. No, no, his purity would actually make them clean. And this is the picture that we have here. This idea of atoning for our sins is that one touch from the Lord atones for our sin, forgives our sin, purges our sin, takes away our sin. And like, just like the burning coal, it's something that's completely external to you. So for Isaiah, he realizes, man, I'm lost, I'm undone, I'm unclean. And here comes the seraphim, this angelic being that takes this coal from off of the altar and brings it to him and touches it to his lips. It had nothing to do with, with Isaiah, anything within himself, anything good that he did. It was something completely external to him. And just like uh, with Isaiah, it is for us that atonement, listen, the forgiveness of our sins, it doesn't come from anything within us. 
Like if I just feel a certain way or if I act good enough or do enough good, then I can, I can remove my sin and I can have a relationship with God because of how good. No, no, no. It comes totally external to who we are. It has to come from outside of us. It has to come from the only one who is holy, the only one who is pure, the only one who is clean. He is the only one that can make us clean and remove our uncleanness. And this is what happens for Isaiah. He sees the holiness of God. He recognizes his own sinfulness and then he receives atonement. And this is what leads to verse number eight where we started this morning. So let's look at it. He surrenders to go. He surrenders to go. Verse number eight. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. And the land is desolate, a desolate place. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And so Isaiah surrenders to go. Here's the question from God. He says, who, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And have, did you notice the language like God speaking and he says, who will go for us? This, this is kind of a callback to like Genesis 1 when God, who is three in one, says, let us make man in our image. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God says, whom whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And here's something I noticed um, that in all these years I've never noticed. I love this passage. Again, I named one of my kids after this passage. Um, I never noticed this until now. God says, whom shall I send? Who will go? In Isaiah, before he even understands the task, he says, me, I'll go. Here I am, send me. He didn't go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Okay, I can do that, all right? That's not too bad, that's not too hard. I, he said, God, I'll go. I will do whatever it is you want me to do. And the goal of all this, the task, was to take the message to the people. And what it says here is that even though their hearts are gonna be dull, they're not gonna listen to you. They're gonna reject what you have to say. I want you to go because the goal is I want them to turn and be healed. I want them to receive atonement like you have received atonement. And Isaiah says, I'll go, I'll go, I'll do it. And this all points to Jesus. There's this, and we won't take a lot of time, but in the last verse, it talks about the stump that remains and this holy seed is its stump. and. Uh, Y'all ever had like a stump in your yard? 
Um, we had one at one point, because we had a lightning strike and a tree in our backyard and split it down the middle. And we, as they cleared that out, they left this, this stump. And this is that same kind of imagery where God said, you know, most everyone's not going to listen to the message. Most are going to reject it. But there's going to be a little, there's going to be a stump. There's going to be a, like a remnant that is going to listen. And he said, out of that remnant is going to come this holy seed. And I just want to show you a couple of verses, a couple chapters later in Isaiah Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, who was the father down the line of Jesus. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Verse number 10, later on, it says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The root of Jesse was Jesus, and all of this was pointing towards Jesus is going to come. And so Isaiah, I want you to go, and I want you to take the message, because this is the message through which people are going to find atonement and redemption. And, and here's, here's the thing with Isaiah. It's the same for us, that we are set free to be sent forth. We are set free to be sent forth. I'm kind of stuck here because, uh, you know, the scriptures here talk about, um, he says that their hearts are going to be dull. Uh, people are not going to listen. People are going to reject. And... Uh, for whatever reason, this morning, so this morning in the first service, I was a blubbering fool. <laughs> I was. I was. Because um, I'm tired, I've had a long weekend, I've been exhausted, and so I was really emotional. In the first service, uh, the first time I heard that line that we sung, uh, hell lost another one, I am free. Like we, we sang it like 20 times and like, I don't know, two or three times in there, I, like, I got super emotional because I'm thinking back to, uh, again, the reality that when Jesus intersected my life, like that was true of me, that hell lost another one. And I was set free. And y'all, I don't know if your hearts are dull this morning. I don't know if you're tired and distracted like I am. But listen, if God has done a work in your life, if God has revealed himself and his holiness to you, if he has set you free, and there's no room for us to have dull, bored hearts. Amen. We are set free, not just so we can, hey, I can go to church and I can do the church thing and I can check off. The we have been set free so that we could be sent forth with this message that God wants to do what he did with a stupid 17 year old like me and literally snatch my soul out of hell. That is the message that I heard. And some of you have heard and you've grown numb to it. Your heart has grown dull because you've heard it for how many weeks and years of your life. And Isaiah, listen now, Isaiah is standing before the throne of God and he sees the holiness of God. God in all of his holiness, all in, in his manifest presence. And he recognizes his own sinfulness 
And he receives atonement, forgiveness, blotting out of his sin. And so when God calls and when God asks, who can I send? Who is going to go for me? Listen, it was so natural and easy and normal for Isaiah to go, me, send me, God, whatever it is you want me to do, wherever it is you want me to go, I will do anything because you have done everything for me. And so, God, I will go. Listen, y'all, we were set free, not so that we could sit on our butts, but so that we would be sent forth, so that we would live surrendered and sent. That is what we have been set free for. But listen, it all starts here with getting a glimpse of his glory. Getting a glimpse of his glory. So, this divine encounter for Isaiah. Here is how this whole thing, this changed his life in his ministry. He saw the Lord's holiness. In light of the Lord's holiness, he recognized his sin. He received atonement. So his eyes were opened. He was convicted to the heart about his selfishness and his sinfulness. And so he repented. He turned to the Lord. He received atonement. And then he surrendered to go and to do whatever God wanted him to do. Listen, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have a relationship with God, this is, this is how we all come to God, right? We, we, we see, this is like me as a 17-year-old. I, so I, for the first time, saw the love of God for me. And I understood it. And I recognized that I was a sinner, and so I turned to God. I gave him my heart. And for many of you, you have done this. This is how you come to God. But listen, this is also, this is also how we continue to grow and change. We grow through this personal encounter with God that we have to see his holiness. Y'all, I know you're getting tired of hearing me week after week this year talk about this Bible reading plan and being in the Bible and praying and hear journal and all this stuff. The reason I keep harping on this is because the way that we see the holiness of God is we have to look into his word. We have to gaze into the truth of his word and behold his glory so that he will change us. Amen. This is the place where we see the holiness of God. It's through his word where he reveals himself to us. And, and thankfully, he reveals his holiness and his goodness to us through others as well. You know, I loved last night during this wedding being able to, to honestly say, it wasn't just preacher talk, I was able to sit, stand before this bride and groom, Justin and Gracie, and say the biggest compliment I could give you to is that I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. I see it. It's evident in your life. You're a reflection of the goodness and the holiness of God. And so thankfully, we can see that through others. But the primary way that we see his holiness is, man, we got to get into his word. This is where he reveals himself to us. This is where he speaks to us. And as we see his holiness, then we realize our sinfulness. Then we realize how far short we fall. But, but if all we're doing is kind of doing our own thing, looking at ourselves and our own life and at the stuff around us, and we're never gazing into his holiness, we don't really get how messed up and sinful that we are. 
But when we look at his holiness and when we see him for who he is, we can't help but recognize our lowliness and our impurity and our uncleanness. And so we have to see his holiness and then we realize our sinfulness. It convicts us, it humbles us. It, it, we receive his purifying work. We turn to him and we allow him to cleanse us. We repent, we allow him to clean us and then we surrender to go and do whatever he wants us to do with our lives. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, I quote this a lot, but Paul says here, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Here, here's what he's saying. The way that we are transformed, the way that we are changed into the same image, into the, the likeness of God, the, the way we become more Christ-like, is we have to behold the glory of the Lord. Listen, we never change unless God changes us. And the way that God changes us is that we have to gaze upon his goodness and his glory and his holiness. Listen, I started, I started out asking the question, why? Like, why is it that, that some are sold out to the Lord, to their faith, to the church, to the mission of God, and why are others just kind of lackadaisical, right? And they're just like occasional Christians. Why is it that some could take it or leave it and some would give their life for this? We see the answer in Isaiah chapter six. The reason we don't go, the reason we don't live surrendered, sent lives, because we're not gazing into the holiness of God. We don't see him for who he is. This all starts with an encounter with God beholding his glory, like gazing into the beauty of who he is. But here's the reality, if you rarely gaze at his glory, if you don't look to him and at him often and see his holiness, you and I won't live surrendered and sent. If we spend most of our time focused on ourselves, we won't live surrendered and sent. Time with the Lord and his word and prayer won't be a priority. Being with God's people won't be a priority. Serving the Lord, serving other people won't be a priority. Giving and being generous won't be a priority. Taking the gospel into the world with you wherever you go will not be a priority. It all starts with encountering God. And in Isaiah chapter six, what Isaiah had was a personal encounter with God. He came face to face with God. It was a divine encounter, personal encounter. Listen, I love Sundays. Y'all, I love, love, love Sundays. I came in this morning tired and very distracted and thinking of a million things that I've got to do afterwards. And the second we started singing together, uh, my spirit was lifted and it brought me in. And I was so thankful for this church 
and y'all that we get to do life with. Sundays are amazing, and I love it. They are so necessary, and more important than, than I think any of us realize. But Sundays aren't enough, y'all. Corporate worship, corporate encounters with God, as amazing as these are, when we get to encounter God together, as amazing as they are, they're not enough. We need a personal encounter with God. You need a personal encounter with God. You need to see his holiness. And as you do, as I do, we recognize our sinfulness and we can receive his grace and his cleansing. And then it makes total sense. It is totally natural and normal for us to go, God, here I am. Send me. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. There is nothing that you could ask of me that I would not do because you have given me your life. You have given me everything. How could I give you any less than all of me? And as I, you know, think about that young, dumb me, that picture of me, I was probably uh, four years into a relationship with God. Still, I was young and dumb, I told you that, but I had no idea really still how to follow the Lord I didn't totally know what it meant. Um, I had so little Bible and church background that I was just kind of like, I guess I was just kind of like, and I had no idea, I had no plan for my life. So it was, it was pretty easy, I guess, for me to say, God, whatever you want me to do. You want me to be a pastor? That sounds ridiculous. I hate talking in front of people, but whatever, I'll do it. Whatever it is, God. And yet the more I look into his glory, the more I have personal encounters with him, the more I realize how far short I fall and yet how good God is and how much he wants to use me. And I am so grateful that there was a 16-year-old kid in my life that understood God enough and his holiness enough that he was willing to go and reach out to this punk of a 17-year-old and point me to Jesus. Y'all, we have the opportunity to be those kind of people. But it starts with a personal encounter with God. And so this morning, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And this is an opportunity for every one of us to have a personal encounter with God. And so I'm going to clear off just a few minutes of space for us to do this and